0: Good morning. It's good to see you guys. It's your first time here. My name is Ricardo. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you guys can be with us. We've been going through a series, going through the book of Acts. We've been in this series for several weeks, and we'll be in this series for several more weeks. Um, We'll probably conclude at some point before Jesus comes back, I'm sure. Um, But we're going to continue. So if you have your Bibles, go turn to Acts chapter 12. We're going to look at the last couple verses of Acts chapter 12 all the way to the first 12 verses of Acts chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, um, go ahead and raise your hand and keep it raised really high. And then one of the ushers will walk down your aisle and get you a copy of, uh, of God's Word. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out uh, to you so that you can grow in an understanding and knowledge of the Lord. Just go ahead and keep your hand raised. That would be, that'd be great for us. All right, so here's where we've been. If you have not been traveling with us, we've, in this series, we, we wanted to point out a few things um, from the very beginning and then continue to remind us. One, this book was written by a man by the name of Luke. He right? goes by Dr. Luke. Sometimes we call him Uncle Luke, all right? And so there's two parts to this book. The first part was the Gospel of Luke in which he wrote to a man named Theopolis. He always calls Calls him and he said in that first, that first book, the Gospel of Luke, he wanted to explain what Jesus was doing while he was here on earth. What he was doing ultimately in showing forth the kingdom of God and including people into that kingdom through his work. In the second part of the book, Uncle Luke writes to Otheopolis again, and he says, I want to show you what Jesus continued to do. But if you understand it, Jesus continued to do the ministry not in his flesh, but ultimately by his spirit through people like you and I, and that we had an identity that Jesus says. In Acts chapter 1, he says, remain here, here meaning Jerusalem, the spirit will come down upon you, and when the spirit reigns upon you, you will be my witnesses. And so that became an identity. And what we talked about is this identity is not so much a task, that we are going to be witnesses. The question is, are we going to be good witnesses, or are we going to be bad witnesses, And Jesus says, here's where this is going to take place, is that so much of Israel's life was surrounded in Jerusalem, but he says now it's no longer something that happens in the temple, but the way that the mission is going to go forth is through the gospel, so wherever the gospel is preached. So he said it's going to be in Jerusalem and Judea and all of Samaria and to the ends of the earth, meaning this gospel is going to continue to go around the world and so forth, and every single man, woman, and child participates in that mission, and that's what we're a part of now looking at that. So today, what we see in the text is now that we have Saul and Barnabas, how they go on the first missionary journey to places that are non-Jewish people or not fully Jewish people, and we see how the kingdom of God is advanced. And so that's where we've been at looking at that, and we'll continue to do such this morning. So me, being just like you guys, I was watching TV this weekend, being just like you guys. I saw that they're coming out with a movie on Tupac, um, And just like you guys, I was excited. I think it's going to call all eyes eyes on me. I thought about this week and getting a tattoo, thug life tatted on my chest, but that's all right, that's all right. And some of you guys might be thinking, who's Tupac? Um, (laughs) That's a problem. Um, So here's the deal. Tupac was a man who was a rapper from LA, to live and die in LA is what he said. Uh, He had a lot of really good songs. He spoke. People say this about Bob Dylan. They say Bob Dylan had his finger on the pulse of his culture. Um, Tupac had his finger on the pulse of our our culture and and our timing of our culture. Tupac um, died, allegedly, um, um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) about 20 years ago, and uh, they're making a movie about him. So as I was thinking about the movie, and I was thinking about, okay, how are we going to start this sermon today? I'm like, thank you, Tupac, you're having a movie. may not even be dead, but they're making a movie about you. Tupac has a song called, I Wonder If Heaven Has a Ghetto, right? And some of you guys are, okay, I don't know where he's going with this, but all right. I think that's an incredible question. Now, here's why. When you look at the lyrics, and listen, I'm not endorsing the lyrics. There's some things in there that, that maybe as a Christian you shouldn't be listening to, maybe. Um, so in, in, he's asking the question in light of, in that time when he wrote that song, was L.A. riots and so forth and the race relationships in, in L.A. and so forth. And he, he begins to say, like, you know what? This can't be the world that we're going to continue to live in. So if I die, I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. And then he go another line. He goes, if I die, I wonder if... Some of you guys are like, uh, we don't know Mr. Pac. <laughs> so if I die. <laughs> there's two is there a one? No, I'm stopping. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna <laughs> stop. Okay. So the questions that he has is, is there a place in heaven for someone like me? Now, whether you come out of L.A., whether you come from the hood, whether you come out of the office, whether you come with money, no matter where people are coming from, is, is there a place in the kingdom of God for someone like me? And it doesn't matter doesn't matter your ethnicity, is there a place in the kingdom of God for me? If you just take that of going, I'm looking at my life, and he can make an assumption, he can say, the way that this world is right now, I'm like, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Like, he didn't say it in that word, but like, what he's used to being is around a ghetto, and he's like, I just wonder if heaven has a ghetto. Like, I wonder if this place called heaven has a space for me. And here's where we enter in as the church. We enter in the church with people to say, there are and there is a place in the kingdom of God for all people. And it's not so much a place in which we go to, but it's actually God himself who brings his kingdom through the work of his son Jesus. And so, yes, there's a place for anybody in the kingdom if they enter in through the death, the life, the resurrection of his son Jesus. And that's the witness that we have as a church, that the culture is asking questions. And hopefully we as Christians are still asking questions. Like, what is God doing in this world? What is God doing not just in my life, but the life of the city, the community, the workplaces where I'm inhabiting? And how do I, in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, hold out the hope of the gospel? Like, what does it look like? And what the church begins to see, like where we take our cues from, is from the word of God and the Christians that preceded us. And the way that they, they began to listen to the voice of the Spirit to be witnesses was through worship. And so what you're going to see here, it's very simple in this layout. The people of God worshiped and were part of a strong, healthy church. In worshiping of God, they received and listened to the Spirit, and they were sent out for mission. That they proclaimed in word and deed the good news of Jesus, and men and women become a part of the kingdom of God. And so what we see in this case, it's someone who actually comes from the elite society of the Roman Empire. So a non-Jewish person, elite society, hears the gospel first that is born out of a worship-driven, spirit-filled church that sends people on mission. And so let's let's listen to that and get our cues ultimately from the church as God is working through the church here. And we're going to start the last couple verses in Acts chapter 12. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, make sure you pronounce that right, that could get awkward. (laughs) Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Chetert, and Saul, well, now, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." Then, after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. I think the first thing we see here is first they want us to let, like Luke wants us to know something as he's writing this story, right? And so, when you read the Bible, there's things that they say are prescriptive or descriptive, and things that are prescriptive are when they're telling to do something, they're prescribing us something. The writer's prescribing us something for us to do. Most of Acts is descriptive. It's just describing what happened. But just because it's descriptive doesn't mean that there's not instruction for us as the people of God. That the Bible is left here so that we may know who God is, that we may know what it's like to walk in relationship and fellowship and to participate in his mission. So Luke is trying to be intentional about when he writes. So first he goes back to Antioch and he says that we have Barnabas, and we have Saul, and we have this man named John, who's also called Mark, or Mark, who's also called John. What you're going to realize through Luke, he always gives, he always lets us know everybody's, like, double names. Like, everybody's got a couple of names. So this is John, and this is Mark. This is the same Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And you're going to hear more about him later, because him and Paul have a fallen out. Paul doesn't like him, says you can go somewhere, and he does. So we'll get to that later. So what you have is Antioch. A few weeks ago, when Will came, he taught about Antioch. Like, Antioch became the hub of the church. Oftentimes when we think about the early church, we think about Acts chapter 2, when, when the church was beginning to grow and rebirth, and there's this beautiful picture, and we go, we want to go like that. But the model church is actually Antioch, because when it comes to participating in God's mission, Antioch begins to be the sending place, not the church in Jerusalem. It's actually through Antioch. In fact, if you remember from the message a few weeks ago, it was in Antioch where they were first called Christians. And the way this happened is, like in any society, people naturally clump together. So there's an ideology people um, surround around, a political party, or political ideology, or social, or economics, or ethnicity, and so forth, and people usually huddle together. However, in Antioch, there was this diverse, eclectic group of people, and that they were together, different ethnicities, different social, um, economic backgrounds, and so forth, and they worshiped together, that the people around them, the non-followers of Christ, they would say, what are we going to call them? And the only thing they can call them, they said, is they center their whole lives around this man named Jesus. We're going to call them Little Christ. And that's what the name Christian means. And so that name stuck on us because they could not say because they all looked alike, they all like, thought a lot, they all listened to the same music, whatever. No, they all centered their whole lives around this man who lived for them and died for them that they believe was raised from the dead, and they called them Christians. And that stuck with us for 2,000 years. And it's interesting that that name worked for us because non-Christians gave us the name Christian. And if you've noticed, at least in recent history, Christians are usually bad at naming things. So we had to have our non-Christian friends name us so we can go, yeah, give us something cool, because we were about to make a t-shirt that was about to be all bad. And so we got named Christians there in Antioch. So now they come back to Antioch. And when they're in Antioch, Luke wants us to understand the diversity of leadership here, the type of church that was happening here, a healthy, functioning church. So before we get to the what of what they're doing in this church, it's the who. So it says here in Antioch, if you go back again, he lists some names. They're all Greek names. You got Barnabas, you got Simeon, who was from Niger. Remember, Niger. Um, Lucius from Cyrene, uh, and, and Menae and the lifelong friend of Herod. So these few people, first when you, you get to Barnabas, we've talked about Barnabas, and then you get to Simeon, and then you get to Lucius. Both of these men were African men that were a part of this church. Uh, one of the commentaries says, and we believe that, that Simeon um, was black because he's from Niger, and the word Niger means black. It's like, duh. All right, so you have, you have, I mean, are so smart, but then it's like, oh, dang, oh, write that down, right? So you have this eclectic group of leaders there, and then there's, this, there's, a, there's another person, Manaean, who says that he was friends with Herod. What that means is they grew up together, like they knew each other, like they, they were friends, and it's trying to communicate in some ways the type of status he grew up in, probably elite. And so you have a diversity of people, ethnicities, money, and so forth that are the leaders in this church. So th- this is who these people are, to make up this healthy church that's about to be the sending church. And then they do something that if you get anything out of what, what Luke is trying to give us today, this is it. And it says this in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Like, what, it's not just the leaders here. It's saying the church, this is what they did. It says while they were worshiping and fasting. Implying this was not like in a time of a season where they said, hey, it's a season of Lent, we're gonna worship and fast this season. No, this is what we do. Like, what we do is worship, and worship wasn't just a praise and worship experience. People didn't show up to church and go like, "Who's who's preaching today? And what type of music? They hope they hope oh, they play my jam today. I hope they play my jam, right? They weren't waiting on something to happen in order for them to be able to worship. Like that became a mark of obedience. That became a part of their habits as that they worship God, right? It was very simple for them. God and Christ had worked on their behalf and was working on behalf of the whole world. And that they themselves understood the story enough to know how good God was and how gracious he is and how we've affected this whole world and has brought sin in every aspect of this world. And that God, in love for them, sent Jesus to undo the things in which we've done wrong. To forgive us of our sins and to restore creation to its intended purpose. That alone in Christ them, caused them to worship. And they never got sick of it. I mean, think about this. We live in a very entertainment-driven culture. And so even when we gather, we go. Oh, I've already heard that. I need something new. There's nothing new. It's an empty cross. It's an empty tomb, right? A bloody cross and an empty tomb. That's not going to change. And that is good news for the sake of the world, for the sake of where we live, where we rest, and so forth. And so these men and women, they got down in worship. They got down in worship. And the reason why I think that is, you got that many different groups of people. You know, they added their flavor to it too, right? you know, the services, you know, I'm sure they complain, like, sometimes the services are too long, you know, we, we let these guys go, I mean, we, and then some of them were like, what do you mean these guys, right, they, they probably got into it, and so forth, but the worship was on point, because it was about Jesus, they worship, it says they prayed, and they fasted, and they heard from the spirit, they heard from the spirit, the spirit spoke, hey, you know what, this guy, this guy, we want them to go and do something like this somewhere else, we want the gospel to go forth, they worshiped, they fasted, they prayed, they heard from the spirit, these were a part of their habits and their routines. I mean, if I just asked a question, I don't need to answer it. Like, when's the last time you, you fasted, right? And not just fasted for something to happen, but like that was a part of a rhythm that you fasted and you anticipated hearing from the Spirit. And most of us were like intellectual, many of us were like intellectual heads. Like we'd rather read a book about the Holy Spirit than actually listen to the Holy Spirit. Um, we would rather read a book on prayer than getting on our knees and praying. Books on prayer are good, don't get me wrong, they're really good. Praying is amazing, right? And I've shared this before. Anything you do that you want to get better at, you got to do that thing. (laughs) Remember, I asked my track coach, how do I get better at running? By running. Asked my basketball coach, how do you get better at shooting? By shooting. And if you ask Jesus, how do you get better at praying? He'd probably say, praying. (laughs) Dang, (laughs) right? (laughs) Worship through prayer and fasting, and they heard from the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. Does God speak through his word? Absolutely. It's the word of God. But does he also communicate to us through things of his scripture that apply to our day-to-day, that he would speak to us by the Spirit? Absolutely. But you've got to put yourself in a position to hear him. So, for a few years, I was a youth pastor, and I was always trying to think about ways to communicate these sort of truths to youth. And I'm glad that I did that first, because you know what? The thing about youth— they just grow up to become you guys. And so we do the same thing, right? They just they, they become us. And so what we would do is I would say, you want to hear from the Spirit? Okay, think about this way. So we'd be in a coffee shop, right? And I would pick out somebody in the coffee shop. Like, do you see that person over there talking? And, and they would say, yeah, I see them. I see that. Well, I see that they're talking. I said, but can you hear them? Not really, okay? Why can't you hear them? And usually, oh, there's music's too loud. There's people talking. They're far away and so forth, right? But you know that they're talking, yes. But you can't hear them, right? What could you do to hear them? I, said, well, I can." You know, move over there. I can sit next to the table next to him. Other than being creepy, right? What that would, what that would do is put you in a position to hear whatever it is, was this man or this female was, was saying. And I said, God's always speaking. God doesn't want to shut up when it comes to us. For 400 years, we see that he was silent to the church, to the people of God. And after that, when he came in, he spoke most clearly by putting on flesh through the work of Christ. And he continues to speak clearly through the word of God. And that he's given us the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit has not had as much activity in God's creation as much since Pentecost to now. I mean, if you leave the Old Testament, you see the Spirit at work, but not nearly the way that the Spirit is at work now. So the question is now, how do we put ourselves in a position that we can hear him? And so as we respond to God's grace, something that we don't deserve that we receive, we respond to God's grace in worship. And worship is not just Aaron leading us in music. Like worship is our whole life given to God, that we take the things in which God has created, we do not elevate them as gods, but we, ele- we put those things in the rightful place and use everything we have of our being to give our lives back to God who has given himself freely to us. And that becomes a practice, it becomes a habit, it's things that we need to do to instruct us and teach us that we know how to live as a people of worship that we may hear from the Spirit of God. And I believe the Spirit of God has something for us even as a church here in Tempe. And not just for me to communicate, but for the Lord to speak to us as a community of, Lord, what would you have for us as we participate in your mission? And so those practices of worship matter. In fact, if you look back, it says there were prophets and there were teachers there in this church. And these prophets and teachers were not just people teaching in a classroom. What he's communicating is they were taking the things of faith, they were taking the doctrines, and they were giving them to people in the community. And not just teaching in a classroom, the way that they taught were things like songs, that they would sing songs that would help instruct the people, that they would do things like baptism, would teach people that your old life is dead and you're new in Christ, that they would have other sacraments that we would do like the Lord's Supper, remembering that it was Jesus' body that was given to us, and it was his blood that was shed for us that we are part of this, this community. And so those liturgical practices helped shape the church, right? Those of you guys who grew up in church, you know, even if you didn't believe in Jesus, right? I didn't trust in Jesus growing up, but there are certain things from my church upbringing experience that I know about God because we did them over and over and over and over and over and over again, right? Like for us, Communion Sunday was the first Sunday of every month. And it was a special, if you grew up in the black church, you're like, yeah, some of you white people are like, yeah, I remember that. (laughs) So it was, it was, um, like, you'd walk in, and all the deacons would have the white gloves on, and you knew the white gloves were serious. Like, oh, it's going down today, right? And whenever we would get to the communion time, there was a song that we all sang, and I think every black church in America sang this song. I really do. And it was, I know it was the blood. Right? And you couldn't smile singing it. I know it was the blood for me. And there was always one older lady that like, ha-ha! <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> right? And, and, and then someone would speak, and then he would say, they hung him to the cross. All right? And then someone would speak, and they'd go, he hung his head and died, right? And there was always somebody really good that they were so good at singing, they didn't have to sing anymore. They just hummed it. <laughs> and everyone was like, that's, that, you know, that's their job. Don't do it. That's for them, right? <laughs> what you knew on that day was, Jesus Christ died for me. And those things taught you because you did it over and over again. I never read a book about it. We sing songs about it. And those things were a part of worship. So when people say, I have to have a quiet time or my daily time with Jesus or whatever it is that you call it, we should have those regularly. It shouldn't be, I can't wait to come to church on Sunday to worship. If you haven't been worshiping all the way here, up to here, then you're missing out even what this moment is. Oftentimes we look at the gathering moment as, this is where I'm going to get filled. No, you need to come filled so we can actually be filled together. Like, if we come that way, preparing our minds for it, preparing our hearts for it, trusting that the, the children's ministry people are doing the same thing with the kids, and as we gather together, and as we sing, as we participate, from call to worship all the way to benediction, that we're being reminded of the story in which we participate in, that we may worship, and that, like this church, we may listen and hear from the Holy Spirit to be upon a part of God's mission, amen? That, that happens there. Healthy church. And when there's a healthy church, it becomes a reproducing church. That God will take what he's already done good in this particular place and send it somewhere else. And that's exactly what happens here. It says, verse 3, Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. The Spirit said, these two guys, your best guys, they're leaving. And nobody was like, oh, man, I love it when Paul preaches. Dang, what am going to do? Where are you going, Paul? I'm going to be with you. Paul's like, no, you know, I'm going to some places you ain't even welcome. And he's like, all right, lay hands on your brother. <laughs> we'll, see you. we'll see you when you get back. So now there's a journey here. The journey that he goes on now is to different places here, and we'll start first in verse, verse 4. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there, they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Pathos, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. When he was with, excuse me, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from faith. All right, so here's what's happening here they leave because God called them to leave. Church sends them out. Um, two things here. When it comes to our mission, most of us, you and I, most of us are called to mission to live in response to the kingdom of God here in Tempe, or whatever cities you live in, here in Tempe, or whatever cities, but here in Tempe, right? And so most of us here, some of us will be called God-willingly to go to different states, and even more god willing to different countries to hold out the hope of the gospel, right? Most of us will be here. We will be in Antioch, so to say. And then some of us will hear the call of the Spirit to move somewhere else. Um, and this is the time of year where some of you guys are hearing the call to move somewhere else because because... Because of God or the weather. I have no idea. I'm not judging. Right? I'm not even, I'm not even, breaking my heart, breaking my heart, breaking my heart. Last, I said that last hour, and then three couples came to me, just, you know, pastor, we're leaving this our last Sunday. And I'm like, leave. No, I'm just joking. I I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said, God bless you. Be with you. I'm sure, I'm sure he called you, but whatever. Um, It's hard. Um, So, you have people in Antioch, and you have people leaving. Well, Paul and Barnabas go, and they have John Mark with them. Luke keeps bringing up John Mark because John Mark's going to come up in a, in a crucial role later. So John Mark is with him. They go to one place, and as Paul will often do, if there was a synagogue in that place, he would start there. And he would start there for practical reasons, because it was common ground. In the synagogue, though they were not trusting and following Jesus, they believed in the Word of God, the same Word of God that Paul had. And so the way the synagogues would be set up is, during the Old Testament, you had to worship God at the temple. And during the the period in between the New Testament and the Old Testament, when when the Jews, because of persecution and so forth, were in different places, they start building these things called synagogues where they can worship together. And in the synagogue, um, they would worship, and then there'd be a scroll. And you didn't know what scripture was going to be on the scroll, and you pick up the scroll for the day, somebody would read it, and there was anybody in the audience that was a Pharisee or a teacher or a scribe, they can get up and they can then help teaching that. Well, Paul would step into the synagogues because he was a Pharisee in his former life. And so he had those credentials. And so he would step up and he would take whatever the text was and he would point them to Jesus. Whatever the text was in the Old Testament, he'd point them to Jesus. And that was his way of evangelism. He would start in the synagogue and then he would go to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. So it says that he does that with Barnabas and he does it with Mark John or John Mark, um, same guy. Um, And then he moves on. And when he moves on, he goes to the Gentiles. And there's this man who is named Sergius, who's a part of the pro He's the proconsul. That means he is like one of the head dudes in the Roman Empire, right? He's asking the question, I wonder if heaven has a ghetto, a Roman ghetto, right? Like, is there a place for me? He begins to hear the gospel, and he wants Barnabas and, and Saul to come back to him and share more. But he's got this magician, And this magician friend is named Bar-Jesus, which ironically means son of Yeshua, right? Jesus. And he's Jewish, but he's not following any things that the Bible teaches. He's a magician. And don't think a magician like, like we think about magicians, David Blaine or something like that, right? Like, think of someone who's demonic. And so what people would do probably the proconsul hires a magician and pays a magician. And a magician would do things like they would cast spells on people, curses on people, bring about healings to diseases, and they would even try to predict the future. And you say, okay, is that real? It's real, right? Is it still real today? It's still real today. Why? Because the devil is real. Like, he's real. Like, we really believe that. And when you read the Bible about the devil, the de- there was all angels. And like the, the head of the angels, the most beautiful angels, was Lucifer. Lucifer denied God and he was kicked out of heaven and a third of the angels went with him. They became demons. Those demons are at work today. They're at work here. And it's not to scare you. Um, if anything, it's to make you aware because it's very rationalistic, enlightenment type people. We try to explain everything away through science and what we can taste, touch, feel, and smell. And the Bible says that is really good. It's a gift of the Bible, but there's also demonic presence and influence onto the things that you can taste, touch, feel, smell, etc. It's why, and the Apostle Paul gets it, it's why later when he writes to the church in Ephesus, he says our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, it's actually against the principalities, meaning the demonic powers that are at work now. And so Paul sees this demonic power that is at work now. Why? Let's go back, let's not forget, he's worshipful, he's filled with the Spirit, he's constantly giving himself consistently with the community to God in worship. He listens to the Spirit. He walks in confidence and obedience to the Lord. So now when he's sharing the gospel, the pro-council, he doesn't care how powerful or prestigious this man is. He knows this man, like you and I, is asking the question of wonder if heaven has a ghetto, whatever that kiddo may look like. Is there a place for me? And he begins to tell him about the life and love of Christ and how he can enter in through Jesus and how through the cross of Christ and the resurrection he can get in on this. But Bar Jesus knows if the pro-council believes this, he's not going to get any more money. And all of a sudden, he's going to have insufficient funds. He didn't predict that future, right? <laughs> so there's a, there's, a, there's a problem here. And watch how Paul goes real OG on him right now. Originally from God. <laughs> Verse 9. <laughs> but Saul, who was also called Paul. Let me stop there just real quick. I told you, Luke keeps changing people's names and stuff. So here's what's happening here. This is the first time that Paul, the Apostle Paul as we know him, goes from Saul to Paul. He has two names. He has a Jewish name and he has a Greek name, right? And I get that. You guys were here a couple weeks ago. You heard my mom calling me Sean because that's what my family calls me. And, uh, and, and everybody keeps saying, why, why? I thought you guys were here when I shared that story. But um, just in short, I was born in a beautiful city called Hattiesburg, Mississippi, in 1982, November 19th. Uh, and my mom named me originally when I was born R- Ricky DeWayne Stewart, so Ricky DeWayne. Ricky after I Love Lucy, Ricky Ricardo, and she loved the show. <laughs> so that's what I got Ricky, and Dwayne was my, my dad's, it's my dad's dad's name. Um, I've never really met him, so I don't know. And so my aunt, who at the time was 17, 16, 17 years old, doesn't like the name. So she calls up to Forest General Hospital, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, um, the next day, my mom's still in the hospital. She says, hello, this is Brenda, my mom's name, not her name. And she goes, I just had a baby yesterday, and I, I, I gave him this name, but I need to change his name. <laughs> Apparently, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, in November, now 20th, 1982, you were allowed to just call, and whoever the lady was, you could probably, she probably put, you know, they had those phones, she probably put the phone in there, like, what you want it to be, girl? Right? <laughs> and she's sitting there, erasing, erasing my original name off of it, and writing in, and, my, and so... Mind you, in, in the early 80s, not a lot of Latino, Latinos in Mississippi. There's been more now. So my aunt doesn't know how to spell Ricardo, so she spells it wrong. That's why I have two C's in my name instead of one. So it's Ricardo. Right? So she wants, to, <laughs> she wants to keep the Ricky Ricardo thing, and she changed my name to not just Sean, because that would just be you know, like normal. It's Christian, because that's how we do things, right? <laughs> we believe in prefixes. <laughs> so that's how I had two names. And so my mom likes to say there's a black name and a white name. I said, Mom, white Ricardo is not white right? She said the same thing when I named my kids. She goes, I said, so it's Noah, Jamar, and Eli, excuse me, Noah, Jashan, because we had to keep that in the family. <laughs> <laughs> Noah, Noah Jashan and Eli, Jamar. She goes, oh, you gave the babies white first names and then black middle names. I'm like, actually, they're Hebrew, but you know what? Let's not even worry about it, right? <laughs> so Paul, <laughs> there was Saul was his Jewish name, but then now he's going by Paul, and that's strategic, because now Paul's ministry is actually to non-Jewish people. For the bulk of his ministry, it's to non-Jewish people, and he's a dual citizen. So now he goes by Paul. Now, here's what's happening. Remember, bar Jesus, trying to get that money, um, pro-council, trying to get the Lord. He's getting in the way, and Paul says this to him in verse 9. But Paul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by hand. Like This has to bring back to your memory what happened to Paul. Like Before Paul knew Jesus, he was blinded. And Paul looks at him, and I love this confrontation. If we are going to be honest about the gospel, there will be confrontation from somewhere, right? Whether it's demonic, whether it's culture, sometimes in your own family, definitely in your, your own flesh, that there's going to be conflict to walk and step in obedience with the gospel. This conflict comes demonically here. And Paul, filled with the Spirit, guys, not just I woke up one day. like, No, my life and the community that I was a part of, it actually nourished the Word of God and faith and worship for me. And if I'm worship and we're worshipful, we're driven by worship, listening to the Spirit, obeying the Spirit and the Word of God, when it comes to moments like this, we know what to do. And Paul, it said, looked at him intently, like, looked in his eyes and got real big on him. And he says, you, son of the devil, he didn't say anything else, he said, son of the devil, of all unrighteousness, he goes, would you stop taking the things that are straight of the Lord and making them crooked, meaning get out of this man's way that he may hear the good news of Jesus. If you don't want to get in on it, we get it, but he wants to get in on it. And then what happens? He says, now the Lord is upon you. And usually when you hear the Lord is upon you, it's usually in blessings, but this time it was in judgment. All right, this is important. God of love, God of hope, God of mercy, God of forgiveness, God of redemption, God of salvation, God of justice, God of wrath, God of judgment. Like, that's who he is. That's who he is, right? Like, like the gospel is good news, but there's only good news after we understand that God had to do something because something was bad. And it says every single person in this world um, joins into participation that we are sinners by nature and by choice and that we stand under the wrath and judgment of God. It becomes good news that God so loved us that he sent his son Jesus that we may step into the presence of God because of the blood that was shed for us. If we were not in that by faith and following him through obedience, then we find ourselves in judgment. So this was actually a precursor to something that could be good. So to tell someone that they're in sin and that there's judgment on sin is actually a good thing for them that make me understand our need of a savior and by faith follow Jesus. So I was reading another article by uh, that was on a, another rapper from Los Angeles. Listen, I'm not like in the rap like that, but um, this other rapper from LA was Kendrick Lamar. Uh, again, you don't have to go look up who Kendrick is, got a new CD out, but it's probably not good for Christians or maybe. So here's what you have in this article. He's talking to uh, this, this, the person who's interviewing him, and he starts talking about faith and religion. And he says, you know what? I went to church a little while ago, and it was the same message that I've heard before. It was somebody that's about to get their blessing, someone who's about to have their season. And he goes, I heard a lot of hope. I heard a lot of these things, but I heard nothing of the judgment of God. And he goes, but I've been reading in my own study. And so I'm reading the Bible, and I see that this God of love and mercy and justice, um, excuse me, of love and mercy and grace is also a God of, like, discipline, and requires obedience and there's judgment. And he goes, I question, like, why aren't pastors preaching that? Like, why haven't I heard that when I was growing up in church? And he said this, I wonder if it's because those pastors know that it would actually make the people uncomfortable and that they would not come back to church. Okay, that would be dishonest with the scriptures and dishonest about the scriptures that they reveal about who God is. Like, there's, like, Paul looked at him intently and said, No, there is judgment. And it doesn't let us know if, bar Jesus, at some point comes to know the Lord. It just lets us know that at this moment, it said, no, no you are in the way of what God is doing, and God's going to kindly push you to decide and so that this man may hear about the Lord. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 12 here. Then the pro believed, and then he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Um, it, this wasn't a scare him into the kingdom type mentality. I want to be clear about that. Sometimes when you hear fire and brimstone, if you ever heard that phrase, it's someone usually screaming at you, like, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, everybody's going to burn, but there's a man named Jesus, who doesn't want to burn? Do you want Jesus, right? And then the line gets really long, because it's like, again, it's like the AT&T commercial, like, which is better, burning in hell or Jesus, right? Like, that's, that's not, that's, that's not how we do this, right? And, and that's not what happened to, to this man. It said that he saw what, like, he saw what happened, but he believed the word, The gospel goes forth in power as it's preached and as it's lived. That as there's deeds that begin to promote the gospel and there's words that begin to proclaim the gospel. That there's deeds that demonstrate and there's words that communicate who God is and what he's doing in this world the fullness of who God is, his character, his love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that this man heard and he saw that God is serious. And whatever power that was existed in this man, whether demonic or whatever you would call it, demonic, um, in this man, that he knew the power of God trumped it. You can't even use that word anymore. It's like, As soon as I said that, I was like, now, I, now like, every time I say that now, it's like, <laughs> I don't even know. The power of the Lord was bigger, right? And so you have, you have, you, you have this sense of going, like, the gospel really is the power of God, and it comes in word and deed. And this man, who at some point was wondering, because eternity is in place in every single heart as the word teaches us, like, I wonder if there's a place in the kingdom for me. And he saw, ultimately, the judgment of God. He heard the love of God, and he was able to respond and have faith in the Lord. And the faith that he has, and always in the Bible when you hear the word faith, it's always a believing and walking out in such a way that he participates in the kingdom of God in the kingdom of God. So for us, as we look at this, it's pretty, pretty simple. First, we got to start upstream. What was happening at the church at Antioch? There were multiple types of people of different ethnicities, of different economic backgrounds, who were so passionately in love with Jesus that part of their habits was they worshiped. They worshiped, and they worshiped they fasted, they prayed, they worshiped, they fasted, they prayed, they listened to the Spirit. Many of them were called to stay in tempi- I mean, in and, and Antioch, <laughs> and, and, and some were called to go to other places to carry forth the good news of the gospel. We have to start upstream and say, Lord, as we listen to this, Lord, continue to call us, remind us, that it is our calling and identity as witnesses, and what fuels that identity is us worshiping the name and fame of Jesus Christ. And as we listen to the holy spirit collectively as a community would we be able to discern your callings on our lives collectively as a church and individually as people and how we can witness to the people who are asking the question i wonder if heaven has a ghetto to let them know there's a place in heaven for you but it's only in and through the work of your son jesus amen all right let's pray god we thank you for your word that does not return void father we thank you lord that we would not be worshipers of your word But the one in whom your word points to you as our father and jesus as our elder brother who has given his life for us and has been raised from the dead by the spirit of god that is living with us and in us and is calling us lord is convicting us of sin and is calling us to people so i pray for the neighborhoods in which we live that we would know our neighbors and live in such a way in word and deed that the gospel may come to bear in our communities god i ask that you would anoint and call people in this in this church to 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 other places father that they would hold up the hope and the light of the gospel, that collectively as a community that we'd be able to discern that with Him, God, that we would constantly be living on mission, listening to the questions of our culture, that they would find their amens in the person of Jesus. Help us to understand and believe the fullness of who you are, your mercy as well as your wrath, your judgment as well as your justice, and ultimately the love that binds it all together in your son. Father, fill us with your spirit and call us to be your people in your places. In Christ's name, amen.